Hey there, Offgoers, Muse here, but before we get into this week's episode of the Going Off Podcast featuring the rock critic Crash Thompson, a few things we wanted to get out of the way first and foremost. This week's episode features a Patreon-requested review. If you want to request an album for us to review on the Going Off Podcast, it is a one-time $40 pledge to patreon.com slash rapcritic or patreon.com slash muse. And in addition, as you may or may not know, every so often we cut clips from the Going Off podcast and throw them up on Patreon for uh, people pledging $1 or more a month. This week, as a special bonus, the clips I'm posting are absolutely free. So if you just go to patreon.com slash muse, you can download both cut segments from this week's recording. If you like what you hear and you want to hear more, consider pledging $1 or more a month and hear all the past going off extras, and all the future going off extras. Once again, that's patreon.com slash muse. Pledges as low as $1 get you access to bonus exclusive audio and video content. And if you want an album to be reviewed on the podcast, it is a one-time $40 pledge to either patreon.com slash rapcritic or patreon.com slash muse. With all that out of the way, on with the show. This is not the Matrix, but I'm the Oracle. Do you want to get with me? The question is rhetorical. It's the Going Off Podcast with Rap Critic and Muse. Oh, hitting you with that Soulja Boy hotness. Making your yeah. speakers go bammer. Hammer, hammer, hammer. That's literally, no, you know what's really funny? I actually like that song. I remember you saying that back in the day, yeah. Like, it was literally when I started to be like, Hey, this this song is kind of fun, and then it's like nobody listens to Soldier Boy anymore. It's like, oh, I guess me liking someone is their death knell. <laughs> yeah, you, you have to suddenly act like, oh yeah, me too. Fuck that guy. Mm. <laughs> so the reason we're talking about Soldier Boy is because uh, Soldier Boy has found himself in some hot water, and boy oh boy, <laughs> everything about this story is so incredibly dumb. Soldier Boy. Uh, apparently liked a picture on Instagram of a well, female a pictures. of uh, someone that Chris Brown used to be involved with, and Chris Brown didn't like this, you know, even though it's someone he hasn't been involved with in some time, I imagine. So he took to social media to voice his, um, to voice his displeasure with that. Um, they went back and forth a little bit, and now we find ourselves in a pay-per-view boxing match between the two. Could this get any dumber? Yes, it can. Is this actually happening? Is this actually happening? Yes. It is, in fact, happening. Both people are being trained by their respective spousal abusers. Um, (laughs) We got... I mean, let's just call a spade a spade here. Fucking Mike Tyson. um, I'm not sure if he was a convicted rapist or not. Um, is training Chris Brown, and you got the wife beater Floyd Mayweather training Soldier uh. Boy. Three people out of the four people <laughs> have been violent towards women. It was funny. It's weird when Soldier Boy is like the least person that you're concerned about. <laughs> like, yeah, you know? and, and honestly, when I was going in, when I heard Chris Brown is beefing with Soulja Boy, at first I was like, alright, whatever. But then when it escalated to boxing match, my first instinct was, is Chris Brown 
above this. Like, and the only reason I ask that is more or less, does he need the publicity this bad? Because he just did a song where he was, like, featured heavily on a DJ Khaled track not too long yeah, ago. Like Chris Brown is still making hit songs. What the yeah. fuck is he worried about Soldier Boy for? Like Soldier Boy, I could understand. He had Soldier that mixtape with up. <laughs> <laughs> He did that mixtape ignorant shit with fucking Bow Wow that no one gave any attention to. <laughs> oh yeah, Soldier Boy and uh, Bow Wow aka Robin and Robin. <laughs> <laughs> I can see why they would want to fucking, you know, get get some publicity, but Chris Brown, what the fuck are you doing? I don't know. And, and then it quickly went to, okay, so Chris Brown overreacted, and he's being a dick, so is Soulja Boy the bigger man? Which then brings us to our next example, our next exhibit. Fucking Soulja Boy is now claiming Mr. White Knight over here. That he's doing it for Rihanna's honor. Come the fuck on, dude. Shut up. Get out of here. Get out of here. I know they said that, like, they were friends back in the day. I don't know if they still are. But if this was seriously, if, if this was your reasoning, right? You wouldn't be fucking clowning around on Twitter. You'd be like, no, motherfucker, what you did was fucked up. You're being an asshole. Like, you'd be talking straight. You wouldn't be yeah. still acting like the Soldier Boy of 2005, would you? Like, you'd try to be acting like the adult who was like, no, Chris Brown is being a fucking baby. I gotta put him in his place. If violence is even where this needs to go, which it shouldn't. But now that it's a pay-per-view, and it's this whole big overblown thing where both of them are being trained by... Actual boxers. I'm going to go ahead and say this. I was going to ask for predictions, but I'm going to say my hope for this is that nobody fucking buys this. What pisses me off is that, like, it keeps going back and forth because Soldier Boy keeps going like, first he's like, oh, I'm going to meet up such and such. And he's like about to throw hands at people like like there's actually footage of him like going somewhere like fucking with some dudes and like he's actually about to like throw down. So you see this shit. And then the next minute, he's like, oh, you know, the reason why I've been acting like this is because my mom was, like, sick or something like that. Uh. And so, you know, please forgive me. And then next thing is, man, fuck you because uh, Karuchi Tran doesn't like you. And the next minute is, well, we need to be more mature. Like, dude is, do you remember a long time ago when we watched the Soldier Boy movie, uh, when that one person was talking about how Soldier Boy is a kid who's been basically introduced to all of this money and power and hasn't had to have to grow up. Yeah. This is the manifestation of that. Mm. Yeah. If anyone had seen the Soldier Boy movie, which no one did, but <laughs> for a joke, we decided to. <laughs> I, I honestly believe that most people who have seen the movie have only seen it through us. Yeah, probably. More people have seen our review of the fucking movie than they've than seen the, the actual movie. movie. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, like, this is the perfect, like, manifestation of that. And it's actually weird. I I'm going to say the opposite of what I said earlier. I say that Chris Brown is oddly the more mature person. Even yeah. though he started the shit. Like, okay, first of all, Soldier Boy is kind of, kind of being a creeper. Like, liking someone's picks. Like, going through all of them. Like, it's not oh, like, oh, he put yeah. out a pick. And then he liked it. Like, it's the way it's being framed is that, like, 
He just one day went through and liked all of our pics, which is weird. Mm. Like, you're a celebrity. People can see when you do shit like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And But it's just weird now that Chris Brown noticed it. Like, why were mm. you looking at her? Like, what happened for you to even notice that that was happening? Like, if you're going about your life, this person is an ex of yours. Why are you even looking? Like, all right, but I give you the benefit of a doubt. Like, you see that it's... um. You know, maybe he got nostalgic, you know, he wanted to look at the, like, oh, man, this is the girl that I used to love or whatever. And then he sees a soldier boy liking her pictures. Like, what? That's weird. But, like, I, I could never see that <laughs> as a motivation for me to be like, man, fuck you for clicking a button on the internet. Like, <laughs> you know? It's yeah, not like no. you have to comment like, yo, baby, I'm thirsty as fuck. I'm trying to eat that pussy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and second of all, it, what does it matter? She's none of your concern. You know, you know what's funny? Out of all of this, this whole time, I was kind of expecting Drake to do this on Nikki's Instagram since her and Meeker are uh, dunzo. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, but I haven't heard anything about that. That's, that, man, man, Meek fucked up. <laughs> Meek fucked up so bad. I was waiting. I was waiting. Because you remember, like, when Meek got... Nikki, I was like, what? Nikki, yeah, this, huh? Like, I have no idea where this came from. Like, Meek Mill isn't exactly someone who's just like, yeah, I'm someone who's very understanding emotionally. Like, this guy drops, you know, homophobic shit and all that shit like that. Yeah. Like, left and fucking right. Um, so I kind of didn't understand, because Nicki Minaj, I, at least I thought, like, her whole thing is that, like, yeah, I have a big gay fan base, and, like, you know, I love those guys, and, you know, this and the third. So it's just like, it just feels weird that she was dating him. So I was just like, I, I mean, I'm not one to be like, oh, you can't date him, but it does feel kind of odd. And then, like, the the disses to Drake started happening. And I was like, yeah. uh, okay, this is weird. Like, it, first of all, you think it would be over Nikki. You think it would be, but it yeah. wasn't. Second of all... You're dissing Drake. Meek, you're dissing Drake. And you're dating the person that he's been fawning over for three years. And he at no point mentions that in any of his diss songs. But then, like, on top of that, just the fact that she, like, dealt with all of that shit for two years and never really seemed to have, like, a response to it. Like, I remember yeah. one, or, one or two times you said, like, oh, I hope he stops that. But, like... I don't know. That seems like that should be a major riff in a relationship. Like, dude, this is someone like you're fucking up the money right now. You know, Drake and Nicki Minaj, even if they're not really a thing, like the mythology of them being a thing is kind of important to the to, you know, their mythos or whatever. And so, mm. like, for the person that you're actually dating to be dissing the guy that you're pretend dating in your music Unless something is being done with that narrative, like, which could actually be interesting. If we're going to just, like, play this up as just, like, fucking kayfabe, you know what I mean? Mm. Wouldn't that be totally fucking interesting if, like, hip-hop was, like, wrestling and, like... Oh, my God, dude, it almost you is. Know, There's going to be a fucking boxing match between <laughs> fucking Soulja Boy and Chris Brown. It basically is. But can you imagine, like, Drake and Nicki Minaj, uh, Drake and Meek... Going into like a fucking ring and actually like battling each other lyrically, and you know Nikki coming in like the last second and dissing both of them and breaking up with Meek and shit. Like 
That shit would be epic if it was actually played up like that. And first of all, it wasn't even started over. It's like the beat was started over, Nikki. It was all started over. Oh, you didn't tweet my album. Gotta really feel like a dumbass. To be like, I almost blew up my career. <laughs> because someone didn't fucking tweet my album. I, I know a lot of people, it's the go-to to be like, oh my god, for someone who's gonna be president, Trump really needs to fucking, you know, grow a pair or get thicker skin or whatever. But in rap, so much of the image is like being a badass and not letting shit get to you. But uh, oh my god, so <laughs> many of these dudes are like the slightest thing. Ah, pay-per-view fight. I'm getting Mike Tyson to train me and I'm gonna fucking rip your head off. Over Dude. what? Because he liked a few pictures on your ex's Instagram? <laughs> you know, like, like... What is this? Eighth grade? Yeah, let's put this shit in perspective. Like, Drake and me going at each other's throats. Not because, uh, oh, like, well, did Nikki, uh, uh betray uh meek for drake was the other way around was she playing off of both of them scandal like playing with people's hearts and emotions oh and these guys get so angry and then they start dissing each other no it's because how come you didn't tweet my album man fuck you uh matter of fact i i found the the reference track for the rico song so fuck you 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 cheater matter of fact this isn't about uh this isn't about me not tweeting your album uh, this isn't about you not tweeting my album. No, now this is because you, uh, use reference tracks. A thing that I literally didn't care about when we were recording the song together. <laughs> this is why so few people outside of, like, the know give a shit about whenever, whenever these beefs or disses go down. Because all they need to do is hear the fucking root cause, and it's like, well, that's dumb. Why would I even, why would I care? Like, in a lot of the cases... I'll hear the diss tracks back and forth before I know what happened. Like, you you usually inform me by the time we're doing the podcast. So, when I had heard the back and forth between, uh, between Meek Mill and Drake, I didn't know what caused it. So, when fucking Drake was, like, throwing bombs at Meek, and, you know, Meek was, what, using that unlicensed Undertaker sample and getting in trouble over it? Like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, dude, shit better be fucking serious for all this shit to be going down. And then when I find that out afterwards, it makes it all seem really silly in hindsight. If, if it was some monumental shit that started these beefs, it would be like, okay, I get it. You know what I mean? But, like, let's go back to the, 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 the first online beef. Rick Ross versus 50 Cent. Okay. What year was this? Uh, March 2008. 50 Cent compliments Rick Ross on his number one album during an interview, but also warns him not to stand too close to Fat Joe, who was feuding with him in G-Unit at the time, alluding that the friend of my enemy is an enemy. But that's wow. just kind of vague, like, whatever. This is the big thing that I remember seeing, like, at the time. During the 2008 BET Awards, Rick Ross saw 50 Cent and did not like the way he looked at him. This is exactly wh what you were saying. This is fucking eighth grade shit. I didn't like the way he fucking looked at me. You guys are on a BET award show with millionaires getting money and having fun, taking pictures. Who gives a fuck how someone looked at you? <laughs> well, yeah, one person whose opinion of you is going to have absolutely no impact on your career at all. 
<laughs> if you just chill the fuck out. Especially 50 Cent in 2008? Wasn't he, like, already fucking put underground by Kanye by that point? Yeah, he probably wasn't just... He probably just wasn't happy in general that year. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I wouldn't have been. I wouldn't have even shown up. Like, is 50 Cent really the guy you expect to be wearing a smile on his face? I ask that seriously. Like, I'm, I'm really curious. How do rappers want other rappers to look at them? Like, do they want a fucking, like, a throw the head back kind of like, what's up? Do they want a smile? Like, I don't, I don't imagine rappers smile at each other a lot. <laughs> no, but here's the funny thing. The second sentence, because I remember this as well. 50 Cent would later claim that he doesn't remember Rick Ross even being at the award show. That, that, that is a good argument at that point. Dude, do you know what this was started over? This was started over resting bitch face. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, you know how, like, you're just not reacting to anything. You're just looking off in general. You know, yeah, you're just really staring into yet. space. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you just, I mean, fucking 50 Cent, he just looks mad. And yeah. his face just happened to be in the direction of Rick Ross, who just happened to be looking over him at the time. And Rick Ross was like, you know, he's always wearing the shades because he wants to look cool, you know. And he yeah. just looks over. And like 50 Cent, he sees 50, he sees Rick Ross wearing the shades. So, you know, when you wear shades, you're not really sure like where someone's looking at you. Really know if they're looking at you. So like he didn't really feel a need to respond to him. So he just had the resting bitch face. He was just kind of looking off. And then Rick Ross looks at him and he just goes like is he looking at me? What? Why is he looking at me? <laughs> yeah, like, do they want other rappers looking at them at all? Honestly. Like, no, just but, don't even look at me. Yeah, but I, I think he just probably, 50 Cent probably just had a fucking zone out moment, and he was just like, huh, I wonder if I left the oven on. Rick Ross says he didn't like the way you were looking at him, and 50 <laughs> Cent just goes, Rick Ross was there. <laughs> oh my god he must have been talking about well, when I was looking out that window no <laughs> I was all misunderstanding in a lot of these cases because I, I saw the poster for the uh, cause there's a fucking poster for the Chris Brown uh, Soldier Boy uh, pay per view fight where it says put down the guns and put on the gloves oh bullshit <laughs> <laughs> they weren't fucking popping guns. No, put down the fucking phone and pick up the gloves. <laughs> In a lot of these cases, all of these could easily be resolved with a, hey man, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. But <laughs> they never end that way. Like Literally, just text them, hey, uh, I, I saw that you posted something. Uh, was, is something wrong? Like, oh yeah, I didn't like what you said about this. Oh no, I didn't mean it like that over <laughs> oh okay like, is, is there some type of decorum or like way you're supposed to carry yourself as a rapper where like that's just out of the question like you like i said before you need to just be a badass 100 percent of the time where it's like talk out my feelings and emotions that's for assholes no 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 i would much rather put my life in danger by threatening him multiple times in music. You, you know what Why it did? Why would you do that? You know what it is? And, and, you know, a lot of the times when you hear, when people actually, like, squash beef, you know, mm. people always say, like, oh, man, you know, we talked it over and we squashed it, you know? They make it sound like uh, they were fucking diplomats uh, solving 
uh, the problems of like two country, two warring nations, and then like they had to make a peace treaty. No, you know what fucking happens most of the time when people quote unquote squash beef? They probably just go like, "Hey man, I felt some type of way when you said this." Oh shit, I didn't mean it like that. Or they just forgot why they were even beefing and just moved on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I need a fucking journal, I need a lodger of like, okay, who am I currently beefing with? And if I don't write it down, I'm gonna forget. So it's like, hey, um, I'm going to the, I'm going to the club, uh, I'm talking about possibly, um, doing a collaboration with this one guy. What? That one guy? Yeah, why? What's wrong? Uh, you were beefing with him, like, last spring. Don't, don't you remember that? It was like all over Twitter and Instagram. Oh! Uh, no! <laughs> um, we're just gonna record that song, and if anyone asks about it, they're like, "Oh no, no, that's water under the bridge." We squashed that beef. <laughs> we squashed it, man. We came together as men, and we, you know, we talked it over. We, when, we like sat said, on the opposite. We sat on the opposite <laughs> sides of a long table, and we slid a contract across each other. And we and we signed it, and we shook hands, and we took photos. I, I'll put it to you like this: When Dr. Dre and Easy E had a beef. Mm. It was over, like, shit that fucking, like, mattered. Like, you know, you right. were on my label, and you left me for another label. You fucked with my money. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought we were friends. And someone else might be fucking over my money. Shit is going down. You know what I mean? That makes sense. But this shit is just like, are you fucking serious right now? Like, are you people not goddamn adults? You got people like members of NWA, you could possibly imagine, okay, you know, they're, they're, they might come to blows, you know, in yeah. one way or another. But when you think Soulja Boy and Chris Brown, at no point did I think they were going to pick up guns anyway. Yeah. Except for the really weird, you know what's funny? You got to point out, um, songs that get played on the radio a lot and then you really listen to the lyrics... <laughs> A good mm-hmm. example, and this is a small sidetrack, Party Up by DMZ, right? Uh, DMX. DMZ! <laughs> DMZ. The, the rap uh, tabloid website. DMX. Um, that song gets played on the radio a lot, because it's just kind of like a go-to... It's kind of like a crossover pop hit in a weird oh, way. Oh, yeah, totally. It has the chorus of a catchy song... But the, the, the verses of an underground rapper who has no idea how to achieve mainstream appeal. And the whole song is talking about how he's going to kill another famous rapper. <laughs> like, how is this a party song where he's talking about, oh, you're staring at the roof, you're staring at the roof of the church, and the, 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 the preacher telling the truth and it hurts, and the whole uh. shit. They, what, what did he say? Uh, these niggas is characters, not even good actors. What's gonna be the outcome? Let's add up all the factors. You whack, you twisted, your girl's a hoe, you broke, the kid ain't yours, and everybody knows. <laughs> like, that's personal. <laughs> you got like 15 year old white kids going, like, they don't fucking know. They're not listening. <laughs> no, it's like, he's literally talking about, like, I can't fucking believe how these whack ass motherfuckers. He's not talking about, oh, I'm going to lose my ride in the club. No, he's literally going, like, trying to figure out how the fuck these guys got famous. <laughs> yeah, he gets fucking, he's violent as shit in that song, but the one I wanted to bring up was with Soulja Boy, Cranked At. I'm jocking on your bitch ass, and if we get to fighting, then I'm cocking <laughs> on your bitch ass. 
Like, how did it get to this point? <laughs> this week on the Going Off Podcast, we are reviewing another Patreon-requested album. It's uh, Morphine and their 1993 album, Cure for Pain, requested by Charles Hanna. If you want to request an a album to be reviewed on the Going Off Podcast as a one-time $40 pledge to either patreon.com slash rapcritic or patreon.com slash muse. Now, this week, uh, since this is a rock album, a jazz rock album to be exact, um, I figured we would reach out. Reach out to, uh, to a fellow reviewer uh, who might have a little bit more of an insight on this because when we got rock albums on this podcast where it's generally hip-hop albums... You know, we can only say so much. So this time we invited Crash Thompson, the rock critic on the podcast, to uh, lend us his insight. Crash, how you doing? Not bad, guys. Thanks for having me on. Um, Yeah, alt-rock is definitely a generous term for this album. Right? (laughs) That's, yeah. It, It sounds like the music for those late 80s, early 90s, like, cutesy comedy movies where they're using, like, blues but it's not like blues from like back in the day like like it reminds me of the soundtrack to adventures in babysitting you guys remember that movie? yeah <laughs> oh, oh no absolutely no absolutely like based like the thing is listening to this thing the whole time all i could think was this was a soundtrack to like oh to like slackers 2 or like yeah. you know something one of you know some super early like david o russell film or just something like that this thing just reeks of 90s soundtrack and sure I, enough when i looked this thing up on yeah. wikipedia turns out this uh, a lot of the songs from this actually were in the soundtrack to let me look it up Oh, actually, a David O. Russell film, Spanking huh. the Monkey. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> what yep. the fuck? Spanking. Good call on that one. <laughs> but uh, as we were talking about um, uh, Cure for Pain, yeah, that was the only thing that really stuck out to me was how incredibly 90s this album sounded and how I don't believe that there would have been any other time in history that an album like this would have been successful besides 1993. Yeah. I mean, wait, was it, though? I mean, I, I, I'm looking at footage of them performing on Conan O'Brien. They had a music video shown on Beavis and Butthead. They were known at least in that circle. I don't know if they were, like, mainstream big, but yeah. I guess they were big in, like, the alt-rock scene. Apparently, they did get a little bit of buzz. It charted in New Zealand. Um, it charted in Australia <laughs> and New Zealand. That's something. Um, that's something. <laughs> um, but and yeah, like you said, it was on Beavis and Butthead, The Daria. Sopranos, a Daria but, but episode. This, so like there, there were people trying mm. to push it and trying to make it like a thing, literally. But, I I, I look at the the singles and see like if they charted or whatever. There's not even like a charting thing for their singles. It's just the list of all like eight of them and then uh i see a link to murder for the money in 1997 i'm thinking oh that must be their big hit song and i click on it and it's a link to the movie wild things oh i guess it was in the movie wild things i'm assuming it was in the movie but unfortunately the wikipedia page doesn't tell me anything about the soundtrack so i don't (laughs) like this is like you want to know more about this song go here where they don't even include the soundtrack like what the fuck was the thinking behind this See, it, it's an interesting case because I'm looking at the reviews 
Uh, four and a half stars on All Music Guide. Rolling Stone gave it a three. Uh, it, it's, it seemed to do okay, but if you look at the review uh, or the synopsis of the album that followed it, uh, that came out in 95, they're saying that it did okay, but it didn't do as well as the predecessing album. But if you look at the review of this one, its main credit is that it was in a list of top 10 underrated 90s alternative rock albums. Yeah, so, like, yeah, how good yeah. did it do? L- l- little background. Uh, again, if this doesn't sound 90s as fuck in premise, um, or as... <coughs> <laughs> uh, that was not a play on words to sound like Primus, but maybe it was. Ah. That um, Morphine is another three. It, it's it's another trio um, mm. led by a bassist, which is what yes. Primus was or is. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Mm-hmm. Do not, do not compare this to Primus. Primus is interesting. <laughs> this is not Primus, and this do not share shelf space. I'm saying that a band's but, but I see like, where you're coming from here. Um, bands like Primus and Faith No More are the only reason that bands like Morphine were able to survive at all. Here's the thing. Like it's it's marketing itself as jazz rock, you know. That's what the that's what it's selling itself as, but the thing is to me, the weirdest thing about this album is it doesn't it feels like it's part one part jazz and one part rock, but they are not like melded together at all. Like it's it's kind of jazz, it's kind of rock, and they're just sitting in the room next to each other, just staring at each other very awkwardly, like it's a first date and everything is going wrong. Like there is no fusion, <laughs> there is no harmony between the jazz and the rock going on. So the dude, a dude just bought a fuzz pedal for a stand-up bass and let uh, the dude and let dude play a saxophone instead of guitar solos, and that mm. does not Basically. a rock album make. I'm sorry. Basically, it, it you know what it sounds like? It sounds like uh K- Kenny who's a Kenny G dude? Kenny G. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like if Kenny G was trying to be more hard edge but completely failed. Yeah. Like my my the thing that I the first thing that popped into my head while listening to this, I was like this is Collective Soul by way of Dave Matthews band. It's just oof. <laughs> like it's like like if Dave Matthews had broken onto the scene like three or four years earlier than, than yeah. he did, I imagine he'd probably sound something like this. Morphine here. Uh, you got, dude, I, I'm going to go ahead and say this. It's ambitious. Yeah. Oh, you absolutely. Mark Sandman, a lead singer. Though? Dude, you got one dude who wrote all the fucking songs in mm. who else was doing jazz rock? You know, like I will say it's a little ballsy. And for what it was, okay. it succeeded to an extent much better than I would expect it to have done. Oh, okay, you know, maybe, exactly. maybe at the time yeah. that was an interesting sound, but I don't know. I think, like, right now, like, I've already heard this, like I said, in so many soundtracks, in mm. so many, um, uh, like, like I said, this sounds like the fucking alternate alternative music for the full house theme song, a lot of these, you know? It's not something I'd call incompetent. Like, it's played mm. very well. They obviously have a sort of unique vision and a unique style that they're trying to pull off, and they do do it effectively. And it, I'd say for the niche sound that they're trying to create, I'd say it's very skillful and it is very well executed, but at the same time, I just don't know who this is for, you know? Yeah, like, like, they literally should have named this album Adequate. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> going from good, good to adequate, adequate. good to passable. To adequate. 
Yeah. And then the next one is serviceable. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh. I, I think, um, I know I saw somewhere that, that people consider Mark uh, Sandman to be one of the, like, the underrated bassists of, of like, 90s alt-rock, and I think he does fine, but god damn it, as a vocalist. He's uh. not interesting, <laughs> no. Oh, he's, god, he sucks! Like, he's, well, he's got the 90s vocalist problem in that he's, like, he kind of sounds like a low-rent Eddie Vedder or, like... Yeah, it's like the the, the baritone sort of, uh, the, 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 the crash test dummies sort of feel. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like, he's going for that so prototypical 90s vibe, and you know who he reminded it doesn't, me it doesn't of fit well with, he's not good at pulling that off, and even if he were, it wouldn't fit well with the music, you know, Chris Cornell couldn't sell this, you know, it's just... You know just, who he, he reminds me of vocally do you remember the band polaris that did the music for uh the adventures of pete and pete oh yeah he, he, <laughs> he kind of has a vocal style like that where at any point in time you could imagine him just going uh whatever yeah yeah i, I totally i totally like he just get that gives vibe. Up. yeah yeah <laughs> like i half expect like i half expected like just a snarky and, the, and that's it, you know, and the, for them to him to just give up halfway and just let the sax see, man just carry the rest of the song. <laughs> the thing is, the personality isn't interesting enough for yeah. that. You know, if he would have done that, that would have been an improvement. But I listened to all of these songs. I listened to this album twice and nothing stuck at all. The only thing I remember is a head with wings because I was like, why the fuck is he saying that? But <laughs> that was to me, I remember that song too, but it was just like, okay, this dude is just trying. He's just trying to be, he's just putting on his best beat poetry. He's just, yeah. try, he's just yeah. trying to, he's trying his best to write howl and he's just not right, even right. coming close with it. You know? Yeah. He's not nearly as ambitious enough. Oh no, no, no. He's not ambitious enough. He's not interesting enough like that. That's so I remember that song specifically. And the only, other one i remember is sheila because uh, the lyrics to that one are literally just i have a cat i pet my cat it's a cat yeah, like, uh, she, she, she put a curse on the cat and that's right yeah, yeah. I, I i'm i'm sorry in spite of me was annoying because i hate his like his droning, whispering, mumbling delivery, but Sheila yeah. is a way worse song on lyrics alone. Oh, yeah. You know what's funny? We keep comparing him to, like, other 90s, like, well, rock artists. What the artists. fuck else do you expect me to do? That's all I have to go on. But, no, uh, but I was about to... I, I was just about to use another one. Oh. <laughs> go for it. Uh, who, who's the boy who did the... the Everything's gonna oh, be right. Sean Mullins! Sean yes. Mullins, thank you. Yes. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. God. Oh, the way he drones on, you know, like the I way you that. know Sean Mullins be. And there's something in L.A. with Wacka Wacka. You know, that's totally this dude. That is totally this dude. If he were but, less but, interesting than Sean fucking Mullins. But can I say, I felt like the In Spite of Me was the best song on the album because because wow. they were like. There was a vocal effect on it. There was, it sounded different. It started huh. different. There was something that made it stick out from everything else that was happening. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying every song needs to be like, pop out here and pop out there, but you have to do something. Like, I understand having a solid groove, but like, 
Something has to let me know that this song is different from the other fucking songs. Yeah, like <laughs> I, God, I didn't even I didn't I didn't even remember the vocal effects in that song. So, but, <laughs> but, but yeah, that's the thing. All, these songs do just kind of bleed into each other. There's nothing mm. distinctive about it at all. It's all just kind of this mush of just you know of just Scott Scott Weiland wannabe mm. vocals and saxophones and like jazz drums that just. <laughs> see yeah I, I i love i love the sax I, I love any like wind instrument randomly showing up in in rock music i oh yeah I, I think each song has something in it that for a second fools you into thinking that it sounds different than the other songs on the album but by the end of the song you're <laughs> like no that was just like the last one actually you know what it sounds it sounds like music that you would just have in the background. It like, does. It really. No wonder this has been used in movies a lot. This is just background noise music. I was just going to say, yeah, this is perfect soundtrack music because you're not really supposed to be paying much attention to it. You know, I feel there's supposed to be witty 90s characters having a back and forth. This should be playing over an episode of Friends or something. Yes, you know? that would be great if people were talking and having witty dialogue happening over every single song. That would have made this album better. I agree. I agree. That totally we should like if you choose to listen to this album, like intersplice clips from like slackers and like hackers and like all the like super early nineties as fuck movies, it'll improve your experience like tenfold. I promise. There's a part in I'm free now where Hmm. I swear I, I heard this little riff and it sounded like department store music where it's, it's, it's during the chorus where it goes, like it brought me back to like patiently waiting for my mom to be done clothes shopping. <laughs> yeah. No, like, no, I know. I no, I know what home. you're saying. No, dude, that like those 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 horn lines were payless shoes as all hell, man. Like, no, I feel you. I totally, totally feel you there. Though that's the that's the risk you take when you rely heavily on like a saxophone or like wind instruments like that. Like you've got to you know keep a consistent style, or else you do run that and risk of sound getting real corny really fast. You know yeah, you gotta gotta have it it's down. gotta have personality, or like yes. you said. It ends up being background music, which is like you said, it's perfect. Background music for a movie. Background music for mm. when you're out and about, and you, and you don't want to be at the fucking store. You want to be home, but they gotta play something to get your mind off of the fact that this is boring as all hell. Yeah, yeah. If you would say a cure for pain, mm. Mm. bringing it all back. <laughs> the, there is a band who I'm just gonna say if if the things that we're saying. If any of it sounds interesting to you, check out a band called Moon Hooch. If you if you're not familiar with Moon Hooch, it's another three piece. Uh, one dude drums drums and percussion. Other dude does uh, saxophone vocals occasionally, clarinet and flute. The other dude does saxophone also, um, uh, contrabass, uh, clarinet, electronic uh, wind uh, synthesizer occasionally. It's it's called jazz fusion and new jazz, but like at times it's like, oh my god, this fucking rocks so hard, and hmm. it's, it's like, the, like the first album, there's no lyrics on it, it's just straight in your fucking face, and it's really worth checking out. I think they do what 
uh, Morphine back in 93 were doing really lazily. The only nice. song that I feel like is interesting, uh, or, or that really stuck out that I that I might check out again, is the Miles Davis's funeral little thing at the end. Oh, it was just like, yeah. Because I understood that this was an homage to, like, you know, a great that had literally just died within that decade. Mm. You know what I mean? And so I was like, okay, I got you. And Miles Davis wasn't exactly making his best music at the end there. Um, <laughs> so Yeah. But, but you know, I, I, I see where you're coming from. That that was a nice little gesture, you know. That's something that, you know, I, I can respect that. That's and you know, it's 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 another one of the instrumental tracks. So again, mm, that's yeah. you know, we don't have to deal with the dude's voice. Yeah. So that's always, you know, that's that's more of a plus. So yeah, I can I mean I mean it closes you know, it closes as on as good of a note as I feel like this album possibly could, you know. So I, I thought I thought Bueno was an okay enough. I'm just going to call it an opening track because why yeah. does a jazz rock album from 93 need an intro track? Yeah, yeah that Donna <laughs> song was really weird, especially since point? it's so like it's just super short. It's not even a minute long yeah. and it's just like 12 notes. It's nothing. I, but thought it, it was, I thought it was a part of the first song. It, it could have. Yeah, it could have. It should have been. Well, really? no, it, no, no, it isn't because there isn't. They don't fade into each other. There's a clear mm. cut, and then Buena starts. So yeah, it's yeah. just kind of there. B- Buena, its intro riff, I think, is what reminded me of uh, President's United States of America because it mm. has a riff that sounds like, oh God, what was that song? Um, Kitty. If, if, if oh, anyone's Kitty. ever, if anyone's <laughs> heard are, that are, song. I Which, remember by the way, they have a song on here that's about a cat, too. <laughs> I swear, it, it, this yeah. is President of oh the United God. States of America's jazz rock side project. <laughs> no, dude, like, Kitty has much better lyrics than Sheila. Oh, yeah, it does. <laughs> much and, better. <laughs> and even then, they're very limited. But Buena starts out vaguely interesting, then gets really annoying, then has a pretty sweet sax solo... But there isn't enough of that throughout the album, so like I got bored of it really fast. Yeah, and I like, hate that candy. Oh my god! See, I barely even remember that one. Uh, candy is is has the uh, the awesome line about candy wanting to take him down to Candyland. Oh, yeah. for God's sake. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, fucking dude, come on. That going Man. into I got a head worth wings, it's like, shut up. Yeah, no. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Dude, no. Take that shit home, homie. Oh, God damn. <laughs> oh, God. The 90s were a chaotic time, weren't they? Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> because 93, I'm trying to think. Uh, 93 was kind of in flux because grunge was ki- well grunge was already a thing but it was already kind of starting to die down well grunge was actually kind of up and kicking like it was sort of at like around 92 93 mm. was when it was like at its apex but like around late 93 94 basically when Cobain died grunge right. died with him so but I- yeah I'm this would be that- like kind of right in the Right, like probably not right at the peak, but right when things are hot, maybe starting to cool down. Uh, I feel like this yeah. is actually a decent product of that because you know, like the grunge when grunge starts mixing with jazz and mm. you know a bunch of other stuff that doesn't fit it, you can kind of tell the ideas are starting to run a little short, uh, genre wide. Yeah, so, 
Yeah, you, that, that's you can you can tell that people saw what grunge was doing and thought, oh well, maybe people are in the mood for more experimental stuff. And for an extent, people did buy this, but not for long. Yeah, people who didn't quite understand grunge were starting to get their hands on the genre and mm. starting to kind of take it, you know, take it in directions that didn't really need to go. And I, I feel like this is a great example of that. I, is, I find it interesting yeah. that I'm looking at the Yes Wikipedia mm. and it's not categorizing it as jazz rock. It just categorizes it as uh, alternative rock. I wonder if mm. they just, dr- well, no, because then their next album, Like Swimming in 97, uh, says jazz rock again. I was gonna say, like, I wonder mm. if they just kind of like got away from that because it wasn't, it wasn't hitting. Possible, with the um, folks, possible. But, there uh, could have been like there, there's, there's possible there could have been like label pressure too, mm. uh, to sort of, you know, to sort of. Well, the thing is, y'all, you also got to understand this is like a weird sort of, this is a weird almost novelty act, really. Like, yeah. That's, that's gonna be pretty hard to sell, so I'm sure they after their after their first album didn't t- set the world on fire. I'm positive. Who are they with? Ryko Disc. Yeah. Ryko po- Disc. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm positive they put more pressure on them. Guys, be more mainstream. Be more accessible. Be more listenable. So. And then they fucking just jumped over to DreamWorks. Yeah, that's well. May, well, it's possible. Uh, Ryko Works or whatever they were probably got uh, swallowed up by then. Oh yeah, Dream, I can see that. DreamWorks was kind of on the rise. Ninety-seven, yeah, this was around. Mm. This was around when they were starting to sort of swell up. So, so gentlemen, out of five, what would you what would you rank? Morphine, cure for pain. Oh, tough question. Out of five, honestly, I'd probably. You know what? I'd be a little generous and say it's about like a two out of five, maybe, because you know what? I got to give I got to give credit for the concept. I got to give credit for the fact that they don't that like they execute it well. Like, mm. like I say, the guys are all talented. Uh, well, except for the vo- except for the vocals, of course, but uh-huh. all the instrumentation is well, you know, is well executed. The drums yeah. are nice and punchy. The saxophone is on point. Their saxophonist was actually very, really skilled. I was pretty impressed yeah. most of most of the time when we mm-hmm. stayed out of J.C. Penny. It was a blast. You know? <laughs> yeah. um, but and even and the bass work was great instrumentally it was pretty solid so i gotta give them props for being able to execute their concept as high and as well as they possibly could i just think at its core it's just a very flawed concept and there's just Mm. not much you can do with this you know i mean grunge and jazz just (laughs) those like you would have to be a fucking maniacal gene Frank Zappa level genius to make yeah. that work somehow. And these yeah. guys and Mark Sandman is no Frank Zappa. I'm sorry. No. Darren, what would now you I really want to hear that? Now I really want to hear that project. Right. Frank Zappa. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Oh God. I'd kill to hear the Frank Zappa grunge album. Oh my God. <laughs> grunge jazz. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, I would give this a, Two. I would give yeah. it a two as well because, like you said, like I, I like you, you want to compliment them on the on their instrumentation, and you know, like I said, the saxophone stuff is great; it's crisp, but it's just like it doesn't do enough to make you like. 
Interesting. I, there is a whole world of music that I can listen to, and I will literally never need to come back to this. You yeah, know no. I mean? like, like a concept like this is really interesting, and not a lot of people have done it. I should remember this album for years and years to come, and I promise you I will never think about this album again mm-hmm. once we stop talking about it. <laughs> See, yeah, that, that's, yeah, that's a failure right there. Oof. Uh, across the board, twos. Twos. Yeah. I would uh, I would definitely give it give it a two also. Um mm. I wanted to enjoy it a lot more just on the purpose of like I saw jazz rock and when when Buena started I was like all right all right and before I got tired of the dude's vocals I was like all right this might work but then I was like oh god this is all it is. Yeah. And yeah it's like it doesn't change up nearly enough to stay interesting. The lyrics are trying to be abstract and they're just they they don't work he's not singing about anything interesting when he's trying to be like tortured or whatever it doesn't come off well yeah i i don't feel like there's any variation of emotion no yeah there's not much emotion period it's just Mm -mm. way too obtuse and just like it's trying to be deeper than it really is yeah which is the early 90s which is the early 90s in a nutshell (laughs) exactly (laughs) we we got so much to say Ugh, i'm sure you do it's like your economy's fine shut the fuck up (laughs) (laughs) hey cobain didn't make any sense and he was a genius Uh, you only got to deal with Bush for like one more year. <laughs> oh, oh, oh yes, yeah. and, then, and then yeah, and then wait till then the two thousand. Then, then it gets great. Uh, then you, then you motherfuckers get the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> well, Crash, thank you so much for for joining us on this uh, on this. Uh, was this the inaugural review of twenty seventeen? I don't remember. At any rate, it was a. Uh, it was great to have you along for the ride. Um, of yeah, guys, thanks pain. for having me on. It's it, it's it's a blast. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I'm glad we were able to uh, to bring morphine into your life because you said you weren't uh, you hadn't even heard of this band beforehand. I'm glad that we can now re- have one more band in your repertoire that you will uh, never revisit. Yeah, see, you say that, and I, like I said, I'm gonna forget this dumb thing as soon as we stop talking about it. But you know what? Th- th- the att- you know, thanks for the attempt. That was exactly <laughs> not a know. problem. Thanks again to Charles Hanna for requesting this on Patreon. Mm. Um, hope we did you proud. <laughs> yeah, dude, we, we we we. I promise, we tried our hardest with this man. We really, really did. <laughs> you know how how Darren always says like he gives the album two plays through or whatever. I did. I I had. I gave this a few listens, but not entire listens. Like, it was multiple sessions of, all right, I got to fucking... And for 37 minutes, having to take breaks, <laughs> that's that's a really bad sign. Yeah, like, if I can't even it, listen I, to a full album 37 minutes the whole way through, you got troubles. Yeah, I gave it two <laughs> solid sit-throughs, too. Like, I, you know, I sat there and I gave it all my attention and said, okay, Morphine, impress mm. me, you know? And, like... Yeah, like I said, I'm having trouble remembering the songs even now as we're talking about them. So, oh, yeah, that, this album's got problems. It really does. <laughs> well, that about does it for the Going Off podcast this week. Thank you very much for checking us out. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes so you never miss an episode. Uh, we're also on SoundCloud and YouTube. You can help us out on Patreon. Follow us out on... Uh, uh, mm. Follow us on both Facebook and Twitter to find out what we're doing, what we're talking about throughout the week, what we might be talking about on the podcast. 
And uh, I guess until next week, um, I'm Muse. And I'm Rap Critic. Start gathering your receipts for your taxes now. <laughs>